all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Hi, I'm Richard Gershon, the host of In Legal Terms and a professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law. If you miss a live In Legal Terms episode, find our podcast, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. for being with us today and Relatively Speaking. I am Dr. Susan Buttress here with my uh, producer engineer, Abram Manny. And today we're talking about, you might not like this title, Parenting Our Parents. And you know, I might not like this title in a few years, but it is a circle of life. We're all born right? Needing a caretaker. Most of the time, it's our parents who are the reason that we survive to become adults that we are. Now, I say most of the time, sometimes it's not our biologic parents, but but other people who become our caretakers. Sometimes it's a grandparent or another caring adult that we owe our survival into adulthood for. And and sometimes it's many, many people who who helped raise us. So we may feel thanks, give thanks to to any number of those adults. Well then at some point the tide turns. As time takes over, life changes. We become the caretakers of our children first. If we have children, it may be nieces and nephews that we help with. Then just as those of us who are approaching the the time of life, when you think maybe you're in that sweet spot, um, that we call, you know, you're done raising your kids. You're 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 done having to take care of anyone else. You're n- perhaps nearing retirement age, or at least you can slow down. And and then you're not done, right? We now find that those who originally cared for us now need us to care for them. So now we become the caretakers. It may be due to physical health, just typical aging process, vision, eye issues, hearing, uh, mobility issues, or it, it may be things that circle around dementia. So all of that can can cause issues that make us realize that Perhaps now it's time to take to to step in and and start being the real caretaker 
And having been through this myself with my parents and other older adults that I loved, in-laws and even former in-laws, who I love very much, I have a lot of personal experience, and I have a couple of stories that I can share with you, but I, I really would like to hear other other stories. And, and this show, I want you to know, is is not meant to be about just the health issues of aging. I'm happy to try to answer some of those. They're geriatricians at the University of Mississippi Medical Center and certainly other places who who are well-equipped to answer those. What I want us to, to really hone in on, focus in on, are the relational aspects of dealing with aging parents, the caregivers that we had who now need caregiving. So... Abram, I know that you are you are the young one in this group, um, and it's probably hard for you to even think about the possibility of having having to step into that. Yeah, it's it's very scary for me. Like, it's something I don't want to think about, but I mean, I'm on a radio show talking about it now, so I guess here we are. Yeah, we're going to think about it. <laughs> yeah, and, it definitely and, needs to be thought about, though. Well, it does. And and something that I think I can help those with who are maybe thinking they're in that sweet spot and don't have to take care of anybody right now, you can prepare for this. And you can prepare better than perhaps some of us did as we were coming into this time. Uh, there are there There are so many wonderful resources out there, especially... As I was preparing for this show, I just want you to know that there there are resources, and we'll hear from one a little bit later in the show. But like I said, having having had personal experience on this, knowing what I do about do know about behavioral medicine, there there really is a whole lot to unpack about this issue. That is really not just the problems with aging. Everyone who's engaged in caretaking of the elderly may not have had the best parent-child relationship in the past. You know, yeah, absolutely. You know, maybe there's some issues out there, and uh, that that you had with your parents. Maybe they were not good caretakers. Right. Maybe they were even abusive. But now you're in the situation where they need you. And and then what do you do? And, you know, in the, the science of behavioral medicine, we know that many times individuals who were abused in their childhood still love their parents very much. Absolutely. I, I know of someone, um, a former preacher at a church I went to in North Mississippi, um, he is very open about how he, he and his father um, did not have a good relationship and how they he was – I want to say he was we'll, – we'll give him some grace and say borderline abusive mm-hmm. towards his, his son. Um, and then as he grew up, his father ended up needing him to take care of him. And he just – he had to find it in his heart to – uh, step up and make that commitment to him and he still goes and vi- visits him in the nursing home which is where he, he has to have he has to be cared for nowadays is in the nursing home and um, their relationship has improved because of that 
but it's also end of life. Like he knows he's starting to understand what his past was and his past relationship was with his uh, father or, or the father right. past relationship was and with perhaps his son. has some regrets. Absolutely. And, and I know many listeners out there perhaps have had that happen where where maybe the the parents who are now in the the need category of being helped and cared for have expressed regret maybe maybe some have not maybe sometimes there are some lingering issues about your childhood that stay in the back of your mind. Maybe they never came to the forefront. Maybe they even affect your responses to the person for whom you're now giving care. Maybe your responses are not as kind and giving as they should be. Sort of turnabout is fair play, right? So as we we talk over the next 45 minutes or so, I, I really want everybody to, to sort of do some introspection. Are you in a good position right now to care for someone who may need the caregiving? Now, it, it might even be an older uh, spouse. It might not be a parent. It might be an aunt or a grandparent, but somebody who needs you and 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 how you're moving through that. I'd love to hear stories uh, from those of you who've been out there and already been been through it. Again, it's not an easy caretaker for it's not an easy position for the caretaker, but it's it's not always easy for those who are receiving care to lose your independence. And and I have a kind of funny story about my father-in-law that that maybe I'll jump in and tell right now. But I'm going to open the line up again, and uh, we've got open lines. I'd love to hear from you as we're talking through, through this. How does it feel to be cared for? How does it feel to be the caretaker? And is it really weighing heavy on you? Because I know it can, both physically and emotionally. So... Uh, one of the one of the issues that I think we all always deal with is is that losing that independence. One of the one of the early things that often we have to intervene on when we have aged parents or individuals that we love who who are having issues uh, are around driving, right? So. When do you take the keys away? How do you do that? What do you do? So as a teenager, I even remember the first time that that I was allowed to drive a car alone without one of my parents in the car or my older sibling. Man, it was it was just a surge of independence, right? You feel great. You're independent is something you've never felt before. Okay, well, fast forward to having to take the keys away from an 80-year-old who's always been able to go whenever they wanted to. It's a major hit. 
and and it's often the beginning of many many struggles to come. And I got permission from my husband to tell this story, funny story about my father-in-law. It was kind of funny, sweet. He was a, a my father-in-law was a the a giant of a man. He he was a a big tall man. He was a farmer, always largely in charge. He always drove a big truck. And and I remember he so loved to just drive around his farmland and survey the land, look at the crops, see how it's doing. And I remember a couple of times driving around with him on his day off. He wanted to drive back to the farm and look at everything. And so we were driving around and, and he was just talking about how pretty the nature of it all, the God-given earth was. Okay, so anyway, uh, so then he started struggling, having some trouble with dementia. And uh, at first, my mother-in-law was hiding the keys from him, so he just couldn't find his keys, so he couldn't get in the truck. So she would drive him in her car. So the next thing they knew, he would be off in the truck again. And she'd go, the keys are still here. I don't know what's happening. He must have had another set of keys or something. I don't, well, we finally found out that when she would drive him around, when he, quote, couldn't find his keys, he would ask to go visit his very close friend who happened to own the car dealership. And he would go in there and visit. Um, mother-in-law would drop him off. She would go run some errands, come back and pick him up. And in the meantime, he would tell his friend that he had lost his key. And so have one remade because the family was private about what was going on. He would have one remade, and lo and behold, he'd jump in the truck when she wasn't watching. So we we had some changes that we had to make. So... The that's, that's that uh that's that's the type of uh conniving that you can only get with uh, get away with at certain years of marriage. <laughs> uh, it was it was it was funny, but of course it it proved to be dangerous because there were times when he would lose his way, drive you know drive into a ditch or something, and so it can be very know, scary for sure. My grandfather did a similar thing where he, uh, it was after my grandmother, his wife had passed away and he would get his keys and just drive off and then forget where he was going Mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. Um, so my uncle showed up one day at the house, had no idea where he was and he had, he knew the whole time. Like he said, Oh, I went up to Cenotopia. That's an hour and a half from his house. Uh, don't know why he went there, but he he came back and told him everything he had done. But just he in his state, he did not need to be doing that. Yeah. And well, it's dangerous for themselves, but also dangerous for others. Absolutely. So as we're talking through uh, taking care of of the the aged and still giving them dignity, to me that that's the hard part. The other part is taking care of others. And still taking care of yourself. And just like on the show from last week, the previous week, we, we actually could 
talk some more about the codependency piece because you want to make sure that you don't fall into that codependency pattern that we talked about last week. And if listeners, you did not hear it, I would really strongly advise you to go back and listen to our podcast from Southern Remedy, relatively speaking, from last week on codependency, because I think that it will it will give you some reminders as you're thinking about taking care, being a caretaker that you make sure you don't fall into that. Thanks for listening. This is Relatively Speaking, and I am Dr. Susan Buttress here today with Abram Nanny, and we are we are talking about being a caretaker for older adults and and how sometimes it can be difficult, sometimes it can be very rewarding, but the difficulties there sometimes overweigh the rewarding pieces. And and some of it may be because we are not preparing well for the inevitable. I think sometimes we think that perhaps if we just don't worry about it, somehow things will happen. Maybe we think somebody else will do it. Maybe we think that there's someone else in there who can take take the reins and take care of it, and then it falls into your hands because someone else, another sibling or another individual in your family either cannot do it or will not do it, and that happens. It certainly does, and it can be difficult. So... Um, what I want to do today as we move through this is is talk about some of those situations when you feel like perhaps you're being worn out and some of the things that you can do. But the other thing I'd like to talk about is how to make sure that we remember that we need to prepare for for the inevitable that will happen, even for ourselves. So many of you I know who listen on MPB at this time are retired or at home thinking about this as in reference more to yourself than anybody else. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts about it. Have you done anything to prepare to make sure that that you are somebody who will be able to be cared for, that you are preparing things so that it will make others have a perhaps easier time. I'd like to hear some of that, too. So as we're moving along, trying to be ready for the eventuality uh, there is a checklist that maybe we can step through and talk about like this. And, you know, I I still work. Uh, I feel very vital. I do not feel like an old person. But perhaps sometimes my children think that, that I am. I don't think so. In fact, I was talking to that about one of my daughters, to one of my daughters recently, and she said, oh, mom, you're fine. You got lots of time. We never know, though, do we? And so important to to have a checklist prepared. So let me, uh, I, I compiled a couple of checklists from, from um, a couple of sites that I thought would be good to just go over as as something as a simple guide. So let's talk about 
keys. I've already talked a little bit about keys, about the car keys. To to make sure about a couple of things, do you have two sets of keys? Where are they typically stored? Where do you where do you have them? And uh, how current is is your driver's license? Is it up to date? If it is not. Um, you need to make sure of that because I think so many of time, so many times we, as we get older, just fall into sort of everyday life and forget to check some of the things that we should be checking. Here in Mississippi, they don't send a reminder that your driver's license is going to be expired. Definitely not. Uh, my wife found that out. Yeah, yeah. She hers just recently expired, and she uh, she didn't realize it until. Uh, she checked her insurance or something like that. Like her insurance sent her something that, that reminded her, but the the state certainly did not, and that was they do not. But. And so you know, for those of us who have older parents, make sure that you remind them if they're still able to drive to check and make sure they have a current driver's license. That is something that is easy to forget, even if you're very aware and very with it. Okay, so the other thing is, what about front door keys, back door keys? Are they different? Who has extra keys to those? Is there someone with those keys? There should be, should there be a safe outside place in case the doors are locked and something happens inside the house and the person inside the house is unable to get to the bolt locked door. Okay. That's something really important. Or do you have a keypad code? Who has the keypad code to that? Those sound simple, but they're not. If something has happened, somebody's changed something, and you don't have a, an easy access. So you want safety inside your house to be able to lock, be locked in when you want to be locked in. But you also need to make sure that there's safety for people to come into your house and help out when that needs to be done. Again, one of those simple things. But step, make yourself step through that. Is there, okay, here's something that, that I think many times we don't think about. You may live an hour away from your parents. They may be relatively close, but they're not next door. So what if an emergency happens or you have a concern and you're an hour away? Is there somebody that you can call on, a neighbor, a friend, perhaps even if it's not a really close friend, someone that you have their, their phone number, it might be a church member who lives close, somebody who, who is near, who can go in and check. That's another piece to, to think about from a relational standpoint, to make at least a contact. might be nice to just go knock on their door um, so that you can be the person who face-to-face meets them, not just your parent. Again, that sounds simple, and but it, it might be needed. I know for me, 
when I'm out of town, when I was out of town, I now have lost both of my parents. And um, but when I was caring for my my mother in her last years, there were times when when I was out of town and I needed to to check with someone because I could not get anyone at the house to answer the phone and I'd become concerned. So to have somebody that is near within a few blocks, at least, if not right next door to call on, you know, and have the contact details, have the contact details of other relevant stuff, like the same thing you do when you leave your child with a babysitter, same thing, emergency numbers, doctors, Uh, Again, the next door neighbor, those contact details, perhaps lawyers, accountants. Now you're beyond what you would usually do for your your children, of course. But a priest, a rabbi, a, a preacher, someone that perhaps may be able to give comfort. So gather those numbers. Now, I know this sounds like negative kind of of end-of-life behavior, but it's not. It's just preparing and making things easier for yourself, the caregiver, and the one who's cared for. Even if they don't need full-time help, they may need some reminders that are written down and posted in a very easy place to access. I always say the kitchen because that seems to to be sort of the the central spot for everybody's gathering and the most comfort, I guess, giving spot. So, so think about that. Another thing that it's really important to have out and available are is is the medical history, a list of the medicines. I know with my mother and with my my father who who died pretty suddenly in my mind after uh, just a few weeks, we had a list of all the medicines that they were taking, when and how, and all of that very clearly delineated. So those are the kinds of things that are simple, but everybody doesn't do, and it makes life harder. And especially for those that are struggling with like dementia or Alzheimer's or something that need to the help with reminding them to take their medicine or reminding that the, them that they've already taken their medicine. Because um, my my parents, when they were dealing with uh, my grandfather, who I spoke about earlier, the same grandfather, they had to have the you know the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday you are right. boxed off pills because if not, he, he would take his medicine three or four times a day mm-hmm. without that sort of uh, organization to, to clear it up for him. The reminder, yeah. yeah. And that happened to my mother, and that's, that was one of the clues that we had that, oh my goodness, we better get really organized because um, when I would go visit and she would say that she hadn't had lunch, and I knew she had, it was like, okay. And you see the dishes in the sink and yeah, everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So to to prepare for that. But but let me mention a couple of other things that can be really helpful. And I think something that I, I did some introspection on this myself. And and you know, I'm seventy in my seventies. I I am not thinking that, that I'm on the way out by any means at this point. I don't. But 
doing things like having passwords somewhere in a safe place that can be accessed, since many of us now do so much on our computer that is password protected. And so to make sure that that there is easy access by your loved ones to know how they can get to it. Now, you don't want it to be obvious to to the world. Obviously, if you have something password protected, it's protected for a reason, typically. But to have a folder, tell your tell your loved ones where where it is. Have important phone numbers written down and the like. Have bank account details written down. That's really important. Bank account, insurance numbers, all those things that we are told to do during disaster planning. Same thing. Same thing you need to do for planning ahead and and being a planner guide. Um, have an intact will. Have an intact um, advance directive, and and all of that. Very important that we all seem to avoid doing. I have a close friend that I found out when he was in his late eighties had no will, had no updated will. Um, that is not good. Yeah. That is asking for trouble. Oh, legal terms would be freaking out if they heard something uh, like that. Oh, they would, yeah. and they've spoken about that before. Absolutely. So, so again, now, I'm talking about all that preparation. In the next next 20 minutes, I really want us to be sure to talk about uh, the the relationship and making sure that as we're stepping through, through, we're forging the relationship. Parenting our parents. Uh, you know, I'm not sure I like that term, that title, even though I made it up myself, uh, because I'm not sure that I want somebody coming in and parenting me. But I may want somebody coming in and helping me when I need that help. I hope I will have that. And so as we move through life, how do you how do you do that? How do you step step through that and one prepare ourselves for the aging process and needing to be cared for and two preparing ourselves to be the good caretaker that perhaps we want to be, but sometimes it can can be very difficult for us. So what I'm going to do is talk a little bit about the the grieving process of what happens when individuals have to give up their space, um, their independent space. So elders often mourn the loss of their independence. You know, they, they, they all of the sudden can't drive. They all of the sudden can't take care of themselves. And grief is grief. You know, it might ebb and flow. There are times when an individual may be just so sad that they're, they're, they're angry. Remember, grief, many times the first response is that anger, denial and anger. And so to, to keep that in mind that that might be there. 
Yeah, I see there's some calls coming in, so that's a good thing. But we'll get to that in a minute. So, you know, what what I was talking about was the grief. Um, keep in mind that that you have to give space for that grief time. Give the elders some time to understand the loss. Try not to be angry with them when that occurs. All right. Now, I believe Mark's ready, and Mark is in Laurel, not Hawaii. Hi, Mark. A hometown fan who moved from Hawaii to Laurel, Mississippi. Oh, well, welcome to Mississippi. (laughs) Thank you. I guess I should say thank you, y'all. You know, my mother passed away a number of years ago, even though she had a will and and an advanced directive. Because we have six children, we, with my mother's consent, made a video just a conversation, mom, you know, tell us about your wishes. So we were able to talk through all of her final wishes, everything on a video. We even drilled down to the set of China. We know it came from, you know, great grandmother. Who, who do you want that to go to? Um, her wedding ring, who would that go to? She was able to be very specific and put everything on record on a video. Um, and it also just put everybody at peace of mind because she was able to communicate what her final wishes were. And we, we found that very, very helpful to use the modern technology in that way. Wow, Mark, what a great idea. Nobody could contest that, could they now? Um, and, and I think it, it, what a gift for your mother to be able to tell those stories about where things came from and, and why she'd like for those things to go to the individual that she was gifting them to, because that's what it is. It's it's simply a gift. I think so many times family members forget that that what was gathered was gathered by their parents and by their their work and their gathering and and not by them. And so anything that they receive is a gift, right? That's right. And with six siblings, we have all heard the horror stories of the infighting in families when mom or dad passes away and who gets what. My mom made it crystal clear who got what. And she also said, after she's dead and buried, she doesn't care. You do what you want. You can make all the trades you want, and she laughed it off. But she said that, you know, that these are, there's some items specifically that she wanted to go to my brother, my oldest brother, because he was the oldest in the family. And then my younger sister is the youngest girl in the family. And there were specific items that my mother wanted to go to her. Um, I'm a closet chef, so I, one of the items my mom gave to me was a set of wrought iron skillets that were made in the 1850s in Tennessee, passed down you know, wow. generations. Yeah. She wanted me she wanted me to have those, so it's on video. And so anyway, that, that's just a helpful suggestion I had to anybody listening, is if mom or dad are cognizant enough to participate in a video conversation, it's beneficial not only for when they do pass, it's also a, a legacy that you can play for grandkids, great-grandkids, and, you know, people who love them. Now, Mark, I have a question for you. Uh, normally, sure. you hear when people have wills, it's on paper or whatever, and it's locked in a safe. Where did this video go to? Did the lawyers have it? Was it on everyone's phones? Or My sister, well, okay, her will and her, her estate and everything, you know, that was through an attorney, obviously, and then she had two siblings as co-executors, so that's where that was. No, she made the, 
the video and it remained on my sister and my brother's phone since they were co-executors and they were able to share with us the copies. You know, they, they forwarded the videos to us. Brilliant. So, but they, yeah. they, they preserved that on their cell phones um, because they were co-executors of the estate. That sounds like a wonderful suggestion. So listeners, take that one on. You know, the other thing that we did um, with my with my parents is we recorded videos just about history, just got them to talk about it. Not enough. I wish we had done more. But uh, those videos are priceless to us now. So thank you for that suggestion, Mark. Great idea. You're welcome. And just for you listeners, we're loving Mississippi. The food and the hospitality here is amazing. And uh, we have no regrets about moving from Hawaii to Mississippi, with the exception of you guys got a lot of humidity down here. (laughs) (laughs) We do. You know, I've been to Hawaii a couple of times, and though there is humidity, you've got that breeze. Sometimes we don't. But you know what? The the wonderful hospitality and the great food makes up for it, right? It does. I used to think just the once a week Saturday shower was enough, but not since moving to the deep south. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Glad to have you here. All right, let's stay on the phones. We have Sam in Asheville, North Carolina, or have you moved, Sam? Uh, Hello. Um, Well, I'm actually passing through from Louisiana to North Carolina and, and caught you on the radio and uh, just appreciate you addressing these topics because they are uncomfortable. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 49 years old and, and have aging parents who, thank God, are in great shape. Um, but this is more about, you know, me. my question's more about, you know, me getting myself ready uh, for my kids. And something I'm looking into is, it, you know, this uh, long-term care insurance Mm-hmm. You know that you you buy for yourself, and you know where if you can't do you know two of any six tasks, then it kicks in and helps support you so that you don't have to burden your children or some other loved one uh, with uh, your own self care. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so and they define the tasks as like taking a shower, preparing your own food, being able to drive, exactly what you were just talking about. Um, so it's comforting to think, you know, that you could, you know, kind of buy that type of insurance and I've looked at a variety of it and some of it, you know, there's different versions of it. And I just wanted to hear, you know, your thoughts and experience on it. Um, and do you think it's worth the investment? Well, that's a good question, and it depends. I'm certainly not an authority on this, and and I would suggest that you look carefully at that. Sam, I know that there are some in long-term care insurances that can, can be very helpful and very comforting for you to have, um, depending on the cost. And, you know, there, there are two ways to look at it. Either you, you save the money and sort of do a self-insurance plan or you you look at investing in that long-term care insurance and so I would highly recommend you consult someone who really knows about that but I, I will say um, 
you know, as a physician, uh, I can tell you that uh, making the arrangements for, for my mother as we move through this and other loved ones, it can be very, very expensive. And so to have some sort of coverage, that would be helpful. Um, some sort of preparation would be highly recommended if you can afford to invest in something. But again, all insurance is not the same, and you want to be careful. And so I would encourage you to consult an expert about that, Sam. I wish I could be more helpful on that. But, you know, the other gift you can give your kids is all that other planning that we were talking about, um, making those lists, letting them know um, what what you want, letting them know where valuables are, letting them know about bank accounts and have a folder that they can access as they move on. And um, Sam, stay tuned because I see we have Bill in Ridgeland, who is our next caller, and he is an attorney who who may have some helpful advice. So, so stay tuned, and we will go to Bill. Bill, are you there? I'm here. Hey, thanks for calling in. It sounds like did were you able to hear Sam, the previous caller, about his question? I, I heard part of it mm-hmm. about the long-term care insurance. Yeah, he was asking about that. And I don't know if you have a comment on that. I, Like I said, I'm certainly not the expert in that. But I see that, that you can help people create wills, which is something. Maybe make some comments about that. How can we help our parents better prepare? And how can we prepare better to make sure that, you know, even if we're a burden from a need to be driven around somewhere or driven to our doctor's appointments, at least we're not a burden um, on, on in some of this area when we're gone. Yeah, well, I recommend, as most attorneys do, that, that people do have wills, a power of attorney, and a durable health care director. But I have an idea that as a result of problems I've encountered in handling estates, uh, that people, when they do a will, uh, they invariably hide it somewhere. It can be in a safe deposit box. They put it in a file somewhere. Uh, and it makes it difficult that when the person does die, where do you find this will that you're supposed to take to uh, an attorney and probate the will? And it, it requires, the law requires that the original will be filed in a probate proceeding. And there's, there's just tremendous problems with locating wills once people die. Hmm. Um, and the idea I came up with is, and I've talked to my um, representative in Madison County and the Chantry Court, is to create a will registry where when somebody does a will, the attorney files it in the Chancery Court's office just like they would a deed, and it's a confidential will registry, and the uh, all the person has to do that's a beneficiary or a relative is go to the Chancery Court's office in the county where the person resided and provide a death certificate, and the Chancery Clerk would then take the will, the original will, and produce it. And then it could be filed for probate. And I'm not sure if any other states do this, but it would be a, a really big asset 
for people dealing with wills in the state. Mm. Um, it, it, it would it, you could register it in every county a, a will in every county where the person has a will, and you could do it for trusts also. Um, so it, it's just a method, and I wanted to get viewers uh, or listeners comments on whether they think this is a good idea, and if so, contact their legislators and ask them to to introduce a bill to do that. Bill, that sounds really, really like a good idea since so many times as we age, our memory is something that does not serve us well. And so we may, how many times do individuals lose things that they can't find toward the end of life, maybe expensive Jewelry or a document that they need or or even prescriptions, even after they've received them. So, you know, there there are ways that you can get another prescription. I'm sure if you know who who wrote the will, what lawyer wrote the will, then you can access that. But but that's a great idea. And I I really, really didn't think of that as being a problem. Well, and I've encountered problems with people having a safe deposit box, which you can't get into uh, right. you know, without a court order, basically. And, and that's a problem, and a lot of people keep their wills in a safe deposit box. So you have to go through, jump through all the hoops to get a bank to uh, let you into a safe deposit box, and then hopefully there's a will in there. But yeah. this, would, this would shortcut everything and provide a means and a method to preserve the will. And and there's a, um, uh, a legal precedent that if you can't find an original will, there's a presumption that it's been revoked. So you've got to overcome that hurdle. So this would preserve the will and make it accessible to anyone that um, has to deal with a death of a loved one it has a will. Yeah. Bill, I'm going to ask you a quick question before we have to end the show. Um, tell me if there is a video that one of our earlier callers talked about, uh, an individual videoed saying that this is where they want their possessions to go. Can that be used as a legal document? It cannot. It cannot. will have to be witnessed by two witnesses. Um, now, there is a provision in the law for what's called a holographic will, which is a handwritten will. And that those have been upheld uh, if somebody just sits down in their own handwriting and writes what they want to do with their estate and their assets, then those have been held to be uh, a valid means of disposing of your estate. Um, okay. Well, that, that's been very helpful. We got a little bit in, in legal terms grounds, but, um, but this was great. I, I think you, listeners, I know this is a difficult topic to talk about the aging process that we all have to go through, but I appreciate the callers and the listeners. And, you know, I think we'll do a follow up on this in a couple of weeks to talk a little bit more about the relational aspects. 
Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, and funding is part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and support from listeners like you. If you'd like to hear this show again or any of our past episodes, you can listen to the podcast on your favorite app by searching Southern Remedy Relatively Speaking. This show is a production of MPB Think Radio and engineered by Abram Annie, our call screener. I am not sure. I'm sorry, our intern Selena. Selena. So thank you, Selena. Thank you, Selena. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I hope you'll join us next week at 11 for Relatively Speaking. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.